Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kiseki Cast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today will be my co-host, Josh, and returning again is our special guest, Emma. This will be the second part to the plot episode, and I'm doing the intro by myself because it was so long we had to split it into two parts. Okay, just going back to the, um, uh, the favorite Class 7 person coming in, I think... I'm probably biased just because I love Laura as a character so much. I'm kind of biased that whatever she does, I'm just like, yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> um, so her coming and saving the day for the like, she's kind of the first person who turns up in the game to save you. I mean, you met Elliot before just because he was playing his violin um, in the cathedral and you just kind of stopped by to say hi. Least cool entrance I've ever seen. I'm <laughs> sorry, poor, Elliot. Poor Elliot. I do love him. Like, he's my favorite boy. But I do understand, and I do admit, yeah, he is boring. But that's, that's some kind of my work. Sorry, I'm just going to take a small diversion about. I know that everyone's like, it's uh, Elliot just has his music and that's it. I do actually feel that it's kind of possibly done on purpose to say that because he's 100% music and nothing else, that kind of is a testament to how far he's gotten. Because, uh, you know, like he's, he's kind of the new Vita Clotilde in that he's, um, you know, he's the one who's playing in Heimdall uh, opera houses and he's gotten so many gigs around the country and that's how he's able to gather all the information. Um, I feel that if he had, like, another hobby to focus on, I mean, I know he has to practice with his staff uh, just so that he keeps up with his um, spells and stuff, but uh, I feel that if he had anything else, it'd be, like, less believable, possibly, that, that he's, like, at his age, managed to get so far in his music career. What do you guys think? Well, I can tell you that um, I didn't really, I didn't quite think of it that deeply just because I always felt bad for the character a little bit because it it (laughs) felt like they always just gave him music and I was like, there's got to be something else to this guy. Um, That's fair. So (laughs) I think I was just trying to justify it (laughs) to be fair, but um, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's completely fair. All, like all of his bonding events are are just like, Reen, do you want to go play music in the street? Like let's let's go like busking somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like I felt sorry for his bonding event in CS3 because it was basically, hey Elliot, let's walk around. Like let me show you. Uh, like let's walk around the branch campus because Elliot's like I want to know where you where you work and stuff. And you just you're walking around and then like the modern music club you can hear them playing and he just busts in and busts out his violin and i was like elliot no let the little ones let the younger people focus on their music oh gosh it's like that that's uh, all people know about him it's like uh, a a lot of people that i know know that i like rugby and that's such a a weird thing for americans that that's like the thing that people always remember so like something will happen and there'll be like a story in the news about rugby and I'll just get like 15 text messages from people. Did you see this? And I'll be like, yes. In fact, I saw it like three weeks ago when it actually happened. But thank you. Um, speaking about Elliot, I can't even imagine what else Elliot can offer to the story because I think most of his character development already developed over the course of one and two which i think the most interesting part for me for elliot was his hesitation to go to the military academy because that's what makes me what made me like elliot in the first place even though he's not really my favorite old class seven but i do appreciate 
his story arc over you know that part he's probably my favorite boy just because he's the he's a healer and i'm such a sucker for like having healers in my team um i mean yeah i agree that in cs1 and 2 kind of his main use um was was kind of his bonds to his father in the you know once cs2 came around and it's like uh kind of we need information about what's going on well thanks to his uh relationship with his dad and his dad being in the military he could basically tell him what was going on um and that gave us a reason to go and save fiona i guess which was a plot point um but yeah sorry <laughs> kind of diverted that conversation that that just means we won't have to talk about elliot in the uh character episode because <laughs> we talked about him here <laughs> poor elliot poor elliot poor no elliot. he got his time here <laughs> <laughs> when Laura came to save the day for uh, being the first time I, I liked it how she, when uh, I think Reen's about to go ogre mode because you've just I think you've wiped out those those clown archaisms and uh, that's kind of knocked Reen for six to be an everyone and the team to have like just taken out a few I think three more turn up so Reen's like oh I'm going to use ogre mode or something and I think that's when Laura pounces in and saying that won't be necessary and basically does her S-craft and, and wipes them out. Um, I love that because one, it's Laura, two, it's her new S-craft, which is so banging. And um, when she says that won't be necessary, whether this was intentional or not, that's what her dad said, the Viscount, when he came to save you at the Infernal Castle to um, to oh. fight against McBurn. Um when you remember uh, i think you know you fight mcburn and then you get him down to zero health and then he's like okay i was just playing with you here's my true form and then everyone's like oh no and then uh that's when laura's about uh, sorry that's when reen's about to summon valimar to to try and hold him off but that's when uh victor comes in like that won't be necessary and i just thought like was that intentional please could that be intentional (laughs) they should have just let us fight that fight anyway because laura would have killed him in one shot anyway Oh, yeah. (laughs) After Chapter 2, we move on to one of, if not my favorite location. Like, I I really liked LeGram in Cold Steel 1 and 2. It's a quaint little relaxing town that just has a really nice feel to it. It's a place that I would like to visit. But Ordis is, like, one of the most beautiful cities that we've seen in Trails you know along the ocean and i know josh just loves all the architecture and the colors and stuff and the soundtrack's pretty good too the soundtrack's really good there and honestly i really like byronia island i liked going there because it feels this like kind of mysterious place that you're exploring i guess it's fine but it doesn't beat nord highlands for me okay so yeah i agree with josh on the Brioni island uh side of things it was very pretty. Um, I just kind of got a weird air to it compared to Nord. I like Nord is like you know vast open grasslands, and then you've got Briona Island. I don't I don't know what it was. It was just uh, I mean there were you know there were marks of civilization there as well. Um, don't know who used to live there, but they, you know there were little huts at some point, and a shr- there was a shrine at mm-hmm. some point as well. But I don't know I felt a little bit empty in comparison maybe just because it was smaller and then nearby uh ortis is uh raquel which is the trails las vegas um (laughs) what did you guys feel about raquel it was all right but um it was uh i couldn't quite put my finger on it but it, it 
it was maybe a step down from some of the other places we got to go, at least in my mind. Maybe it's just because the a lot of the places you can't even go into, like you can't go into the theater, right? Like that's there's like a theater that's supposed to be a big deal. You can't go in there. Um, and I mean, what are you gonna go in and watch a show? I guess, but it would have been cool to go in because you can always go into Arkansas even if you're not watching something. Uh, um, for me personally, it felt kind of out of place on mm, in true. Aragonia. It kind of feels like it's something that it's a city or a town that you could find in liberal, I guess. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. It it doesn't feel like it fits with a lot of the other places we go to. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't like it just for the the kind of uh, vibe it was giving off, and the intentional vibe was kind of like uh, it's at, at night. It basically is pretty sinful place as it's described by some characters you know like bars clubs and and that sort of thing i thought um, like I every single great. time someone says something to reen they're like reen are you going to one of those establishments yeah and we don't even get a chance to, like it's not even a thing you can go to no yeah quite gotta stay on the t rating gotta keep that teen rating also <laughs> something that i've noticed is how similar Raquel is to the entertainment district in Crossbell, mm-hmm. and why why couldn't have they pushed that story, whatever, on the residential district? It's, it felt like a waste of, like, I don't know, effort or a waste of a space to put the resi- to put the entertainment district on Crossbell when we don't even go there. Did we go there? No, I don't think you can go there in Cold Steel 3. Oh. I think you have to wait till Cold Steel 4. No, yeah, that's right, that's right. But, yeah, for sure, I just, I felt that, it's interesting what you say about, you know, you could imagine that town being there in, in, like, other places, but it seemed kind of out of place in, uh, in Erebonia, um, just based on, like, the other cities that we've been to. Um, Erebonia's always seemed like kind of a, you know, the, the, their people, or their citizens, or at least uh, uh, kind of a uh, humble people, they just kind of get on with things until a war goes on, and then it's all like go Erebonia. Um, but um, yeah, it just seemed out of place for the kind of things available, possibly. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just it kind of felt dishonorable um, compared to the standard that Erebonia seems to try and uh, put itself up against. Maybe it's because, you know, it being near Ordis, it might have been something that. Um, the Cayenne family are more responsible for funding, like it seemed to with Marcus Ballard. But um... so we we already talked a little bit about the the Juno Naval Fortress uh, attack a little bit, that because that's where the the game opens up at. So we get to play that part twice. One of my favorite, it might be my favorite part of this game, is the end to chapter three, which is the section of the this section of the country in the game that we're talking about. There's so much that happens at the end of chapter three that I think it is definitely the best, like, I don't know if I would say like mid game cliffhanger, but the, you know, like the ends to chapters, a lot of times we'll have something where you're like, well, what's going to happen next? Uh, and then you just start the next chapter right away. I think it's the best, like in the whole franchise to this point, the, there's so many questions I have at the end of chapter three, like, a quick summary of what happens at the end of chapter three is so you're you're on top of the fortress and you fight Aryan Road and 
everything and you start to see so you see a few smaller things like Duvali starts to doubt her loyalty to Arian Road a little bit and you find out that the other members of the Stallritter one of them was a former bracer and one of them was involved with the DG cult uh you find out they reveal that Muse is going to be the new next Duke Cayenne uh and then George shoots Angie and so it's like what the heck is happening right now I remember just sitting there like staring at the like you know the screen where it comes up where you can like save or proceed and I was like I don't even know what just happened yeah for sure especially I was kind of everything was fine until that thing happened with Angie and I was kind of sat there, like you know. And after it's done, the uh, the loading screen comes up, and you know it has the little logo in the in the uh, bottom right hand corner. And it was like instead of the normal color, it was like blood red. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. And I was mm-hmm. just sat there, like really, like what the <laughs> hell just happened? And I'm just like, what? Like that? I'm, yeah. Now that you reminded me, that is probably like my biggest what the heck moment because I after like every um kind of uh, after every session basically of, of game that I have I kind of I have a little notepad file just so I can kind of write down important stuff that happened just in case I need to go off and do something important and can't play a little bit for a while just so I, that when I come back I'm kind of refreshed on, the, on knowing what happened and I remember just taking to Tumblr and there's a friend that I kind of just rant to about oh today and this happened in the game that was so good and stuff like that because we like we both kind of enjoy symbolism and she likes it when I mention stuff that games do and whatever but um I remember like kind of like kind of trying to summarize what happened in all caps and even right rereading it I was like what the heck because it just surprised me so much like like up until that point you're just like yeah george is the is the cool kid who uh or not so cool kid but you know tries his best um who uh just you know modifies our augments and for him to like you know cut to black you hear a gunshot you're like well personally i was like i know we didn't like angie but we didn't (laughs) not like her that much (laughs) it wasn't that bad (laughs) yeah quite what do you think josh I knew something was going to happen as soon as I saw the PlayStation notification that says um, gameplay recording has been blocked because of whatever, you know, because you just know that something's going to happen, but I wasn't expecting Angie to be shot at at all, let alone, you know, open Crow's grave. Yeah, there's just so much going on, and this is like... This right here is the kind of thing that I think really uh, summarizes what a lot of people like about Trails, where you're just like, all this stuff, you know, everything that we learned in the past, and it built up the story and the characters and everything, and this is like a payoff moment. Even though, like, it's not even, it's not even that something is finishing, it's like, it's it's a payoff moment that you're getting more excited for something that's going to pay off again in the future. Um, and so like this, this is seriously, like, I can't, I can't say enough how great this, this part is because for me, I really like, and this is even like a really small thing. I really like the, the Bracer Guild. I I really like the fact that they're all, um, they have, uh, how do I put this? Like they are really tied to their ethics. They're really like, um, they're really big on 
their ideals of being uh, righteous and helping people and not not being bad, if I can just put it as simple as that. And to have someone who is in the Stallridder, who is they're not they're not evil but they're definitely the antagonists they're definitely like the the bad guys that you're fighting what would make that character betray their ideals to join Ouroboros and up to this point we had only known two people that were involved with the DG cult and survived so it was just you know now we have another person and so that was interesting i want to know more about um Inea. Inea was the one that was in the DG call and Ines was the one that was the former bracer. Uh, and then Duvali, who's always like almost painfully loyal to Aryan Road. She's suddenly like unsure. And then on top of that, the most important noble is a 17 or 16 year old girl with hair extensions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did like kind of on your last point, I like how Ash sometimes referred to her as phony locks. Um, <laughs> Because even, like, going back before the, that happened, it's like he noticed, but he just didn't care. And it, it got this headcanon that kind of Ash knew what was going on. He just didn't really give a damn about it. Um, but, yeah, sorry, yeah, the thing with George kind of confused, kind of threw me for a loop so much that I'd kind of, at that point, probably forgot everything that had how like happened a few minutes prior mm-hmm. but, yeah yeah I, 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 think I think that's with, something that a lot of people would say yeah um i i, I think that because i yeah like you had to remind me actually the uh the thing about inessa and Nea. i mean i was a little happy uh about you know duvali not so much thinking for herself because she's always been able to do that but to the point you know like she is kind of painfully loyal um of her actually questioning like wait a minute what are we doing here and I, as much as i could see that it pained her a little bit i i kind of did like that because you can kind of tell that development's coming uh even if it is a bit far off in, uh, and not in not in this game but it did get me a little bit excited God, i think what i like most about the development of Duval is how we see her as a, like a faceless npc or a faceless enemy Zero, and then we meet her again in Cold Steel 2, and then we meet her again in Cold Steel 3, and then finally her story starts to get something on Cold Steel 4. Like, I think that's one of the hooks that got me playing Trails as, like, a long-term investment. Like, it's just those, those, like, you, it's like those characters that you think are not as much important, and then suddenly got pushed into us into the spotlight. A few games later, mm-hmm. I just love that. Agreed. Yeah, that was something that I liked moving from uh, playing Aonokiseki into Cold Steel 2 was, you know, the the continuation of, oh, this character's been here around before, and they weren't, you know, they weren't important enough to even have a character portrait, and now they're a main antagonist. That's that's definitely something that I liked too. I mean, um, I kind of got the vibe from CS2 that there was kind of something unique about Duplicate just because it was made clear that, yeah, she's strong enough to be an enforcer, but she's not, because I think it's, isn't it quoted something like um, you have to have a certain darkness about you to be an enforcer mm-hmm. whatever that means, but you can kind of tell that as as much as like she's kind of on the bad guy's side, Duvali isn't a bad person 
she's just kind of going on like she's she's earnest and she's dorky and like as kind of demonstrated in cs2 when she's uh fighting against class 7 uh so that they won't beat up duke alvarea um i mean they don't they just arrest him but uh she afterwards duke alvarea is like oh you're supposed to protect me from these people and uh she's like she basically kind of does something you really don't expect and say um yeah, like, if it were up to me, you'd be in a lot more trouble. Like, you're supposed to protect people, and you've just gone and kind of thrown to the wolves for your own, kind of, for your own gains. Um, but she's, yeah, she says something, uh, like, not as much, I- I'd kill you where you stand sort of thing. I don't think she said she'd kill him, but you, know, you can tell <laughs> that, you know, she doesn't agree with what he's done, which kind of does kind of incite a little bit of, oh, okay. Well, she doesn't agree with him. She's not a bad person. She just kind of goes along with what whatever her lord does without understanding why she's doing it, which is, you know, that gets questioned eventually. So after we go into the next chapter, we, we get to see a few new sections of Heimdall, which is kind of interesting. You know, we get to see the, uh, the Vander School where Kurt's hot mom is in charge uh, tra- Trails was known for hot dads in the past, like Cassius, Arios, and Victor, but now we have a hot mom, uh, so that's uh, fair, I guess. Um, we get so you're to- saying Irina isn't the hot mom? She's too mean. <laughs> too mean. She's, she's too more mean. evil stepmother. Yeah, so yes, she's yeah. definitely that, you're right. Um, and I believe she shows up in later i think i've heard that she's in hajimari so look forward to that guys uh but oh, no. we we also get to go to there's like a museum which is kind of neat and um we get to go into the underground again uh but there 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 is a nice little side mission where we get to have like such a crazy all-star oh, cast. Superstar cast yeah uh there's there's a clip and I'll, oh, yeah. I'll I'll play it for you guys here, and I'll edit it I'll edit it in properly. But um, I I recorded this clip of something that Lecter says that is one of my favorite things. It's it's probably my favorite thing that he says. So I'm gonna play it right here. I don't know if you guys can hear it or not. I'll I'll see. Hopefully you can. Woo! Just how lucky am I to be in the presence of such talented boys and girls? <laughs> I love the way you said that. Yeah, that that's that's a line that I just I don't really like Lecter. I'm gonna be honest. I don't like him. I don't trust him. But that was hilarious. I loved that. Um, the whole section underground with all the old cast. I mean, shoot, you get to have, uh, you know, if if you're going with your team of four, you can have three of them that are just straight up normal characters that you get to play in the Sky Arc with Olivier Agate and Tita. So that was a fun section, just getting to, to play all those characters. Um, it's like looking at some of the sides that they might be on, it's a, definitely an interesting all-star cast of you know hodgepodge teams. Uh, and, and of course, we, we don't get to go inside St. Astraya, but it's nice to be able to see where it is, where uh, Elise and, um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Alfin. Alfin, yeah. And, and Alfin uh, go to school. It's kind of weird how it feels boring, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it 
I think it's because a lot of the places that are going to be important, they're important in cutscenes, not necessarily like when you're just running around. So you don't get to go there and explore as much. But you do get to explore during the big party at the, the Royal Villa, which I can see how someone who's not invested in the Trails series wouldn't like that part because it's literally just like an hour and a half to two hours of walking around and talking to NPCs. Um, and, and then when you think it's finally over, it's like <laughs> we shuffled them around to go and talk to them again. Yeah, and that happens a few times. It happens three times, I think. Yep. <laughs> And it's enjoyable for us because we're fans and we're we're like, you know, I want to go see what this character has to say. And I want to go see, oh, look at this group, this trio over here. What a crazy group that they are. And so it's it's enjoyable. And I really like the music uh, there. I think on the Switch, though, there was a little bit of, uh, shall we say, performance issues. There's a little bit of lag and frame rate stuff because it's such a big room and there's so many things going on um that was really the only issue with that um section i guess and then suddenly out of nowhere we have uh, ash the mind controlled assassin i personally was a little mad that he shot the emperor instead of osborne because i kind of hate osborne uh-huh. <laughs> even if osborne was like you can't kill me I was still like, take a chance. As kind of morbid as it might sound, I was sort of like, okay, fine, he doesn't have a heart, but what if we shot him in the face? <laughs> like, like, what, what would it, would that work? Or would, like, yeah, um, a part of me was like, well, based on, you know, prior cutscenes that we had in the middle of the game when, you know, um, Priscilla walked off so that um, the Emperor and uh, Osborne could have their little conversation. And they seemed like they were in agreement with something. I was like, uh, oh, I was like, please shoot Osborne. I get a <laughs> feeling that you're not, so I'm not going to get my hopes up. Um, I just wanted to say out there that this moment of the story was not spoiled in a sense that I knew what was going to happen, but spoiled because you know how this is a tense situation that you're watching in front of you. <laughs> and then out comes somebody who was knocking at your door, asking you to do their laundry. <laughs> so imagine my frustration about that. Yeah, I can see how that would be. You know, you're invested, and then suddenly the power goes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you haven't saved in the last three hours of your playthrough, too bad. I hope you like watching it all again. Man, that's why I like the Switch. I know that I just said that there was a little performance issue, but, man, I I love the handheld fact or the handheld aspect of being able to play it on the switch plus then you can plug it into the tv and play it like a normal i mean the thing after after the you know ash shooting uh cutscene immediately i was like oh no elfin and then like um seeing well firstly i was like really security that bad close to the emperor but maybe they kind of arranged things on purpose so that ash could get there but the fact that uh, I was just like, okay, the Emperor's been shot, now what? And then Rufus comes in, smiling with Cedric, like, kind of basically, oh, it must have been Calvert. And then uh, and it kind of goes, and then cuts to black, and I'm just like, oh, I see what they did there. Like, I was a bit slow on the uptake, but I was like, my goodness. Played right into their hands. 
that that really got me. What's your take on the the Great Twilight Curse? Because to me, it seems a little weird that some people are affected like immediately. Like you see the little black wave go out, and others end up never being affected at all. You know, even even in Cold Steel Four, it's like it just doesn't even exist. Is it supposed to like affect weak-minded people, like the Jedi mind trick or something? Or does it? Is it supposed to slowly corrode people, and eventually, like, if everyone will fall to it? Because no one in Class Seven is even like teased at being swayed. Quite. I mean, it, it seems based just based alone on the um, the cutscenes at the end of CS Three. You know, it's it's not it's not only just uh, Class Seven. It's just it just happens to be all of your allies to begin with. Like even Thor's students, and even people like I think. Uh, like Lord High Arms and uh, you know like Aurelia and Vita and people you'd expect okay yeah they're strong so maybe that's why but like, even like Mint and Lind are kind of stood there like oh why are those townspeople fighting and I'm just like okay yeah I, I agree with you that though Tyler because I just I was kind of sat there like okay is there any specific reason um, that kind of rules them out at least to begin with uh, but yeah the reason is it affects who we need it to for the plot. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it was very plot-based, yeah. And then the fact that they didn't really give... I felt if they gave some sort of official reason... Um, like, I mean, Tyler, you know my, my headcanon about the uh, the alcohol, uh, but that's uh, that's one for later. Um, but, I yeah, I, I, I agree. It felt... I felt the whole kind of thing about the curse as well, although this is probably a more conversation for CS4, um, is that everything bad that happened is the curse, and I was trying to oh, sound back, like... I have the same exact opinion, I can't wait to talk to you about it when you yeah. do CS4. <laughs> please, please, I'm very open to talk about that, and I was just kind of sat back like... <sighs> I'm kind of disappointed. And I was like, okay, well, I guess all we can do now is press on, but alright. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I do like how we have a lot of allies and stuff that come and, and help us out. You know, you've got uh, Ashley and Jingo and Josette show up on the rooftops and, you know, help us get a, pave a, a path so that we can get through, or plow a path, excuse me, to get to the Royal Villa, which ends up being the, the Grawl of Erebos. Um, and there's a big fight outside. And honestly, I really like how Toa is good at taking charge with like organizing things and giving orders oh, despite how she's like objectively like the weakest fighting unit in the entire series she is really good at organizing things and giving orders and i think honestly if they wanted to like translate that ability to gameplay they should have given her the ability to like give three brave orders at the same time at the same time yeah because I've got to agree with you, Tyler. Like, especially considering, like, going into the final chapter with Toa, she is really worried about both Angelica and George. And despite all of that pressure, she manages to just do her best as normal to, like, the same degree. And I just, I just love Toa. She's just so consistent in how she's just so good at what she does despite weight she must be carrying and worries that she has for people she just plows forward anyway and i know that you know like oh people might see her as oh the small baby face 
who's good at office work and it's like oh she's far more than that mm-hmm. let me tell you i loved her so much um to be honest i was uh, a little bit skeptical going into the start of ts3 um i i wasn't really having that a good time until you're like and you hear a hey rain and then you're looking around and then you just look down and you see uh toa's perfect baby face and i'm just like okay my day has been made that much better nothing really but i was excited to see uh, thomas in action oh yeah it was just for a short time it was nice to see to see him in action and and to have uh roselia there as a an ally too so when when we get inside the spiral uh which is amazing dungeon music by the way it it almost doesn't feel like dungeon music it feels like it should be something else but it also fits it fits as dungeon music as well i really like how they set up the the order that we fight our opponents because normally you know the the hardest battle is the last battle they give us the strongest opponents first you got to fight arian road and mcburn at the same time and i think that was a nice little change that they gave us um and how, how did you guys set up your teams? Because I always set it up to how... The to only, only way I can phrase this is how I would expect people to sit at lunch. Like, groups <laughs> of friends and stuff. Like, I was never going... I tried. I won't say never. I tried to always put, like, Usus and Milium or Usus and Machias, you know, in the same group. Uh, Laura and Fee together. That sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, when I first played the game, I going through the dungeon, I was only using the team that I felt comfortable using the most. So I had Reen, Yuna, Elisa, and Emma as my main strike team. And I didn't even know that during boss battles, you're required to bring in certain characters. At first, when I first played it, I had a lot of characters under-equipped, so I, I had a really hard time doing all those boss fights so i'm kind of sentimental as well in that i'll have the characters that i feel would get on with each other but then if i'm like struggling with a boss or something which didn't happen very often to be honest um i i'd be like oh okay well scrap a little bit of the sentimentality and bring in like the hard hitters but that didn't happen too much uh my complete i think party of choice would probably if Reen has to be in it, it'd be uh, Reen, Laura, Fee, and Emma. That's a good tri- that's a good uh, quartet there. So, what what did you guys think about the um, the fact that they give us all these Awakeners in just one game for the you know the the Awakeners for the Divine Knights? We we only had two for the whole you know of Cold Steel one and two. I guess you could say three if you count because they like kind of forced Cedric into it. Um, yeah. but you know, then they give us all the other ones, like all in just oh, one game. They didn't actually, they didn't actually give us everyone's CF3. Oh, that's true. We have they, to find out who the last one in the next game. And if you're not an idiot like me, you probably <laughs> figure it out on your own. But I was I, like, I had multiple candidates to be honest. I'm like, considering who just spoke, I think it's them, but, um, Okay, who did you guys think it was? I didn't... Immediately, just because I've no, I notice in anime, it's like someone says something relevant, and then immediately after the first person to talk or be seen after a certain event, you're like, it's them. So, for a moment, I was like, 
probably Rufus. But then, I think come the end, I was like, I have a few more people on the cards. And I, I won't say now because I thought it was the people who blew up in the Courageous. But um. Yeah, I didn't really... I mean, it makes sense that it was Rufus, but honestly, it doesn't make sense that they didn't show him because if they were going to hold off the uh, identity of anyone, it would be the one who's supposed to be, like, the big bad, right? Yeah. And he's just another one of them. It just seemed weird. Like, if they were going to hold off anyone, I would expect them to not reveal that it was Osborne. Yeah, so I got the kind of feeling that um, uh, they hold... they'd not tell us now because it was actually going to be someone who was going to be like on Rin's side um, and that's like why they were holding off because I felt that the um, the reason or sorry the ending of CS3 was to sort of to sort of set up CS4 in a very kind of vulnerable state of most of our allies are either missing or dead and uh, our chances of dealing with this and saving everyone are pretty slim. So I thought, like, if they waited until CS4 to reveal who it was, it'd be, like, a, a kind of critical moment when we needed some help so that we could do the kind of standard, oh, no, we're about to get smushed, and then for an ally to run in with a Divine Knight and be like, no, you're okay, I've got this. That would have been fun. I would have liked that. What did you guys think about when the Courageous blew up? Uh, what were your initial thoughts? My first thought probably oh honey laura to be honest <laughs> and then oh crap poor like laura and alfin i think were the two people at the forefront of my mind um the fact that cedric had basically said yeah go ahead and blow it up i was just like yeah i've written him off as it's redeemable like i i hate this kid mm-hmm. um, yeah he's a little piece of trash yeah yeah and I was, because the whole situation, it's like kind of, I can understand if he perceives certain things as, as like, we need to do it this way sort of thing, but I couldn't understand the Chancellor's logic in, in why they were doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then for Cedric to kind of blindly agree with it, I was just like, no, he's kind of not so much dug his own grave, it's just like he's made his bed and I'm angry at him for it. I know Josh uh, was probably sad to lose Toval. <laughs> Oh, no, but actually, my first thought was, remember when we were talking about deaths in mm-hmm. uh, trails before? And I was like, well, I think it'd be sad if Oliver dies. I'm like, oh my gosh, why do I keep <laughs> calling these things? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, when when we're watching that, I'm like, he's not going to be dead. He's everyone, he's, it, excuse me for saying this. He's inexplicably everyone's favorite character, because I don't understand why everyone likes him so much. Uh, I, I guess people think he's funny. I mean, he's... I don't hate him. He's not my least favorite character, but I don't understand why he's, like, whenever there's, like, polls and stuff, usually Estelle is number one, and then Olivier or Oliver is, like, always number two. And it's, like, a big shock to me. Like, I... I guess he's just not the type of personality I personally love a lot. I use them all the time in battle because I love the magic casters or, you know, the arts users. So when that scene happened, I was like, I wonder how they're going to bring him back because (laughs) they're not going to kill the guy that's everyone's favorite. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of sat there like, yo, but how are they going to get out of this? And I'm like, but they have to get out of it somehow. But then you actually see the courageous, like, fall apart. 
and I'm like, because you don't actually, you know how the explosion happens, it's just sort of the, like, fades to white, you mm-hmm. hear a boom. I'm like, oh, okay, so it happened there and then. They didn't have enough time to, like, run for it or try and jump out or anything. Um, they just kind of seem resigned to death at that point, so I'm just kind of sat there like, wow. I'm just kind of thinking, I based on what we've seen, emphasis on based of what we've seen, um, you d- yeah, you can't. I'm like, I don't understand how they can get out of this, but I have a small kind of voice in the back of my head saying, but they did. I was like, they're not dead. No one dies in Trails Games. I mean, Pro <laughs> died, and now he's mad. Yeah, no, it, it, it would be nice if there was a little bit more, uh, like, consequences, or, or consequences that have, like, a finality to them in Trails, but... That was another thing that I think, if anyone had been playing Trails for very long at this point, I think they would think these characters aren't 100% like gone for sure. Uh, there's still something to be found out, probably. You think what's, there's a flaw in how Falcon handled it? Because they kind of um, wrote it up as how this is like a huge like development for Milliam's character. But at the same time, this isn't even Milliam's game, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like, we didn't focus on Milliam in this game. We She was like a main character on the previous two games. So I just feel like it came up a little short to me. I felt that her, react, her uh, actions in that were actually rather contradictory as well. Um, in the, you know, after she gets slashed as well, it's like, oh, she just did that so the, you know, uh, Altina wouldn't have to do it instead. But then when she's like, you know, lying in, in Valamar's arms, she's like, I'm, oh, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for all of you. I'm doing it for Lisa, Elliot, Laura, Emma, like all of them. And I'm just like, how is, but you're actually just, you've made it worse. <laughs> so, I mean, I know, I get that she bumped Altina out of the way. You know, there wasn't really any getting out of it so that she just chose to be the sacrifice instead. But I'm just kind of like, but you're actually just opening the path to the end of the world, mm-hmm. potentially. So I felt, it kind of fell a bit flat with me because I was just left there kind of scratching my head like, did I just miss something? Because it didn't, it didn't really feel I mean, me. I guess like, she... Like what she was saying and what she was doing was kind of adding up. I guess because she's an Ironblood, she knows more than what we do as the player um, or as Class 7, and she just wanted to save Altina. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it's the way it's presented where she like still makes a show of like you know defending um when she had like no chance came off a little bit odd and then i i I have already said many many times that i wasn't a huge fan of the the divine knights because i'm not a huge fan of like mech fights so i was a little bit detached from the final scene in general because it's supposed to be this really really big you know, exciting, heavy moment with all the Divine Knights and their Awakeners are in this one spot and we're doing the thing and I was just kind of like, oh, but this is the part that I don't like that much. So I was I was uh, a little bit I don't know if I would say distracted but uh, so when, when the cliffhanger comes I, I had been told previously that it was the huge cliffhanger the biggest in the series and you know it was it was such a big cliffhanger that people were immediately going on eBay, importing a Japanese copy, figuring out how to do uh, Kitsune's translation overlay 
so that they could find out what happened in Cold Steel 4 before it was uh, localized in English. And when I got to this point, I actually felt like the end of Chapter 3 was a lot more exciting because it was like, man, what won't happen next uh, in, in Chapter 3? And this one I was just like, oh, okay, well. I mean, I was... I wasn't on the edge of my seat, I guess. You know, I was excited. I was interested in a few things because, you know, Crow gets his memory back, so that's interesting. Maybe he could not be a bad guy anymore or an antagonist. Very convenient. Uh, yeah, convenient. Also, I was concerned of... I was actually more concerned with not what was going on in the final scene, but things that were just on the outside of it, like how was Class 7 going to escape the spiral and what was going to happen to everyone outside, not necessarily Reen. I don't know if that's, uh, if you guys can relate at all to that or not. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, outside you've got, uh, Toa and the branch campus versus the main campus and all the other Ouroboros members, and it looked like they were struggling before, and then the Courageous blow up, and I'm sure that affected them mentally as well. Seeing the Calvary basically just get so easily blown to smithereens, I was just like, yeah, they weren't really holding up well before, and now they're kind of, uh, the worst kind of case scenario has been realized, so I'm, I, I was kind of worrying about everyone, both emotionally and mentally. Yeah, I was kind of, uh, I think I finished Cold Steel 3 originally in, like, the end of June, so I, I made sure to not play anything new until CS4 came out, because I was like, I need to keep this all fresh on my mind, because I need to be able to, you know, know what exactly going on, just in case, you know, they're relying on context to, to show what's going on. It's it's kind of weird because it's like you're watching a movie at the climax and then it suddenly fades to black. That's that's like the worst cliffhanger of all. <laughs> it's nothing. It's like it's nothing like you know, um, a Cultural One or SC or I mean FC where it's like, yeah, yes, this is the ending. Something happened. You know, like, the main, well, not exactly main story, but you know how in FC where Estelle and Joshua stopped the coup, and then um, in Gold Seal 1 where, you know, they solved the old schoolhouse mystery. There was nothing like that in CS3. It just ended. Yeah. It ended. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, and I guess that's just like a taste thing, like people's individual taste. Uh... I can enjoy a really good cliffhanger, and I still like it. You know, I still liked the the fact that there was a cliffhanger. You know, there was there was still tension. It wasn't like I was totally detached or something like that. Um, but I was just like, oh, okay, well, that was that was a good game. I like that. Uh, it, it wasn't like I, I wasn't immediately opening up eBay to import a Japanese copy. Um, and yeah, yeah, you, actually, me too. But the thing is. <laughs> Cold Steel 3 is such a long game that it leaves you exhausted after playing it. Oh, it's true. That's true. Because yeah. FC is like 40 hours at the most. And Cold Steel 3 is like, I think it took me like 85 the first time I played it. So Yeah, it took me 90. Would you, would you guys say that you're cliffhanger fans? Not of that extent, no. Mm. I remember being quite angry. I mean, I was already a crying mess after Milliam. Um, and the way that Usus reacted. So I was just like, how are they going to wrap this up? And then for it to just fade to black, I did rage a little bit, honestly. <laughs> I did take to Reddit to basically ask... Well, I didn't ask. I didn't have an account on Reddit, but I was just sort of, was anyone else possibly angered by this? 
And then I found a thread to basically say yes, people were. Um, uh, and then I just kind of let it be for a while and then played it again. But um, I mean, I got over it eventually. But uh, yeah, I wasn't very impressed the first time around. I think you're right, Josh. The The fact that we get a little bit of some kind of a conclusion to at least something uh, in FC and Cold Steel 1, even if Cold Steel 1 is just the the end of the, the schoolhouse, um, you know, FC definitely had like a, a solid ending to it, and then there was this little other thing at the end that started another uh, story, whereas Cold Steel 3 is definitely like, there isn't a conclusion because it's just clearly part one. Um, and even though the... And, and everything else is still kind of up in the air. There's no sort of one thing that we can be sure of. Right. I suppose. Because even in Cold Steel 1, which is a huge cliffhanger, the whole part that is the cliffhanger is something was only started, like, at the very end. Because even at the end of 1, you knew that you had Valmar and you were going off to safety, but the cliffhanger is like, are your friends going to be okay without you? Right. Uh, whereas this, at the end of 3, you're just kind of like, is anyone okay? But I do know that there's a lot of people that really enjoyed this cliffhanger. Um, I know that uh, one of our, our our one of our early followers, uh, Ultraviolet Heart, she loved. I think she still says that Cold Steel Three is her favorite of the the franchise. Um, so she really liked the the ending to it. And I know uh, February Knight was a big fan of the ending because he he was one of the people that was immediately uh, importing. Uh, I think actually, he had already imported Cold Steel Three. I think he had already done. He did Cold Steel Three in Japanese, so he might have already had the fourth one. Um, but he was very excited by the the cliffhanger and encouraged to play the final part of uh, Cold Steel Four. But it just hit a little different for me, and I guess the three of us are all kind of in agreement as for how we we took the ending. I will say that I. I do kind of like the harsh cut. If they're going to do a cliffhanger, I like... If you're going to do a cliffhanger, just do it. And that is how I feel that they did it in FC and Cold Steel 3, more so than Cold Steel 1. Because in Cold Steel 1, you fly off. And in Cold Steel 3, it's a clear just cut. It's done. And in FC... Roll credits. It rolls credits as well. And I, I, I do like that they owned the cliffhanger there for sure i mean looking back on it now i'm not as mad and i kind of do understand why they did it that way it's just with all the tensions running high the first playthrough i'm just like wow why why are you doing me like that <laughs> well thanks for for joining us uh emma this has been fun and uh did you have anywhere you wanted to tell people where they could follow you uh sure yeah uh, thanks for inviting me along i'm, I'm sorry if I, I talk too much um i'm just kind of passionate about it that's all um if you want to follow me i'm on tumblr as hypernux that's hyper and then hyphen k-n-u-x um i don't post there often but i do draw sometimes uh so yeah if you if you want to if you want to just uh talk to me about about start a conversation about trails that's that's all good i'd, I'd be happy to talk to people about it well, it's all right that we went too long. I mean, this game is really long, so I, I think that it was probably foolish of me to try to think that we could fit it all into one episode by itself uh, to begin with. So I think it was always going to be two episodes to talk about the plot. But uh, Josh, did you want to tell people or remind people where they can follow you? You can follow me on Twitter 
at Vanaluxite, the Pokemon. Same Tumblr URL, vanaluxite.tumblr.com. And you can follow me on uh, Tumblr at Trails in the Sky. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.